Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. first go to the book of first timothy uh, chapter six and verse number six and then we're going to go to the book of corinthians chapter seven and uh, we'll hang out in corinthians seven for the remainder of our bible lesson but in first corinth in first timothy rather six and six the bible says but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. And tonight, with the help of the Lord, I want to I speak about godly contentment. Godly contentment. Now, as just a precursor to what we want to discuss this evening, I, I want to just say that God may not have put you where you are. But wherever you are, God can use that situation. God's not always responsible for every little latitude and longitude we find ourselves in life. Sometimes it may be our own undoing. But Romans 8 and 28 and many other passages of Scripture confirm that God can take what we have, where we are, and what we're doing, and God can make something of it. I feel the sweet, sweet presence of the Lord just in my heart tonight. Amen. I know we prayed, but let's pray again. I think God's going to speak to some, someone tonight. Lord, I love you. I love you today, and I'm asking you to just strengthen our heart, our lives here in this service tonight. Let the power of your word, let the power of your written word, God. And I will even further say, let the power of your declared word, oh God, let it find a place in our heart this evening. In, in, the, in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. There's a word for someone, and that someone may be you, it may be me. Praise the Lord. Let's be seated and let's just make a journey together. If you think about it in uh, life, there are many components that, um, that make up the whole of our lives or the, the, the completeness of our lives. And uh, when we think about things like our, um, our vocation, our uh, where we live, our companion, our family, um, our net worth, our education. Um, the, I guess the list could, you know, could go on and on and on. When we think about those things, uh, and I, I think for the most part, all of us to some degree do think about those things. If we were to, you know, list those things and itemize them and maybe for the obsessive among us we wanted to kind of rate that on scales of one to ten which is not always a healthy thing to do I heard someone say one time years ago in a in a seminar and I, I just held on to this it said that 
that from time to time when you're doing a self-analysis, that when you list your strengths and your weaknesses, and, and from time to time we should be honest with ourselves about that. But he, he said you should always list your strengths first. Because it's probably your weaknesses that brought you to wanting to even make the list. And so if that was the catalyst to bring you to that and then you start out with all the things that are wrong with you, you'll never be able to push through all of that to find your strengths. But uh, when we think about where we are in life and the moving parts of our life, um, there's many, I think many of us, if not all of us, that would like to change some things. Not everything, but maybe some things. Um, you know, we have little reflective moments in our life, and um, not to belabor the point, my wife and I celebrated our anniversary, and we were looking through some old pictures and the night of our rehearsal, and I think some of those are posted for your enjoyment. And uh, the night of our wedding, and then... Uh, the, the night of our 30th pastoral anniversary here. And so we were looking at those as recent as last night, and, and my wife said, if I knew then what I know now. She wasn't talking about me, but just talking about life. I, I, I see a vast majority of you got it, but some people went... <laughs> But I understood that. If you could just somehow reverse life and if you could come into life with all this knowledge and experience and wisdom and, and, um, and, and it's just not the way it works. But if we could just know then what we know now and how differently decisions could be made and certainly would be made. And that that's, is, seems idealistic because it is because that's just not how life works. And so because of that, we're left with this undeniable conclusion that that there is going to be a measure of dissatisfaction or a measure of unhappiness with certain things in our life. But before we build anything permanent or pour a foundation over those issues, I think that we, should need, we need to consider a few things. Number one is what is the root of that dissatisfaction or the root of that unhappiness? And, and secondly, if I stay on this path, where will this lead? And some of this can be healthy and some of it can be unhealthy. And so we got to stand at those hard intersections of life and just say, where am I going? And if I continue to walk in this direction, where am I, am I going to wind up? And uh, asking ourselves hard questions, why am I unhappy about that situation? That may seem silly uh, to some, but if we look deep inside, we may find the true answer. Because many times... It is, we are prone to assume that unhappiness is a normal response to a bad situation. We're in a bad situation and we're unhappy about it and, and that, that's a normal response. Everything is all right. But our whole society, if you think about it, and I'm not here to try to attack anything at all, but when you think about our society at large, it's certainly in, in our Western culture, when you think about our society, we live in a world that seems to promote dissatisfaction advertisements that that all of a sudden you read or you see or you hear and, and they've got some new gadget some new gizmo and they say are you still using this when you could be using this 
And I mean, 30 seconds ago, you were completely happy with the other thing. And then all of a sudden, you're, you can never view it again because someone has uh, unannounced slipped another prism into our life and we see it through different lens. And so uh, we have to understand that we were here and now we want to be here. And it was all the product of something else. And, it, and, and in some ways, that is sort of built into the system of our, of our world because goods and services are marketed through advertising and please don't ever underestimate the power of advertisement. The power of what people see. Many years ago I read an article um, about NASCAR and how especially in years bygone eras of NASCAR when the, the cars were more similar or more like the cars that were actually being sold um, that Statistically, that whatever brand of car won on Sunday, the sales of that same vehicle went up on Monday. Now, that, that's strange and bizarre because somebody has to know that you're not buying the same Oldsmobile Cutlass. You just have to know that there's no power windows and there, there, there's no cruise control. You just have to know. But nevertheless, it was the power of being a winner, the power of of being first, the power of first place. And so if a Ford won, then the sales statistically increased on Mondays for Ford. And as bizarre as that may sound, it is, it is statistically true. The power of advertisement. I don't want to belabor the issue and don't want to offend any NASCAR fans that are here, but uh, in 2018, the, the primary sponsor of a car racing in the top-tier NASCAR series and that would mean that they would have an advertisement on the hood of the car, an advertisement on the roof of the car, and an advertisement on the trunk of the car. So we got three, basically you got three spots. And so a primary sponsor for those would cost several hundred thousand dollars per race. To be more specific, Lowe's is said to have paid $400,000 to sponsor number 48, Jimmy Johnson's car, every time he raced. $400,000. Think about that the next time you're in Lowe's and going to buy a two before and saying, what? <laughs> well, somebody's got to pay Jimmy. <laughs> Somebody has to pay Jimmy. The point is this, is that these major corporations are not spending that kind of money with no return. The goal of advertisement is to create a need. And so obviously somewhere somebody is running some numbers and they are saying, you know what? That $400,000 we spent, even if he did hit the, if he hit the fence in the third, on the third lap, I mean, it was still worth it because it still paid dividends somewhere in the ends. Our minds... I understand kind of taper off trying to con con contain something like that. But the goal of advertisement is to create a felt need for something. And so advertisers, and I'm not, I'm not diminishing that or trying to speak evil of them, but they're trying to, to convince us that we need the new thing. We need the new thing. And if you could just get the new and improved, the quality of your life would change and, and things and and many times that's true and often we fall for it. Sometimes it's not true. But when I, and my wife and I were first married, I was a stockman at, at Winn-Dixie. Hold your applause. 
I was a stockman at Winn-Dixie. And one day, one of the store managers who was uh, really a, a very, very kind gentleman and, and uh, really invested a lot into young uh, into us young guys that were there and, and was teaching us a lot, and I, I'm sure hoping that we would make our career there. But one day, one of the store managers who, who certainly had a bent for these kind of things, we were, uh, I happened to be a stockman on a certain aisle where canned goods were sold, and we had a, a canned good item that was, it was just not selling through. It was just, you could, you would never hardly even see one can of anything missing. And so in those days, uh, Brother... Uh, Brother Williams can probably relate to this. In those days, they they uh, made signs by hand, and many of those people were very gifted in how they could do the numbers. and And so we had a little cart that you push along, and some different sized felt pens. and And so he took out a little card, and he wrote two words on this card, and he put "new product." Now, before the Lord, I was right here. I was there when it happened. I guess I ought to know. He wrote new product, got out a little clip, clipped it into the shelf, stuck the sign in, and the next day we sold out. With two simple words, he created a demand for something that wouldn't sell 24 hours before. And it was the power of suggestion. This is something new and and you're, you've never tried this and you need to try this. And, and he made people think they had to have this next big thing when at the end of the day there was probably a reason those things weren't selling. Now there's little harm in this way of thinking because especially if we're just thinking about commodities, if you're just trying to sell a can of garbanzo beans or something, there, there's little harm in that kind of thing. But sadly sometimes pull that into their natural life and they pull that into their spiritual life. And this is obviously where we're going. Because if I can just get another job or if I can just get another home or a, another companion in some cases, if, if I could just do this, if I were, I'm here, but if I could just be there, if I, if I could just get out of this situation and over into that situation, then life would tilt my direction and finally things would go my way. And too often people fall for these ideas. And so I just simply say that this commercial approach, if I may use that terminology, to life comes at us from every direction, on every front, at every angle. I think sometimes we're almost desensitized to how many things are being pushed on us. The bombardment, and I don't use that word lightly, but the bombardment that we receive through advertisements on, on TV or radio or internet, it's everywhere present. An all-out effort to program our minds to think a certain way about certain things. And so the message is this. The underlying message is this. Is, is if our situation were just a little bit different, then we would be happier. I don't want any parents to respond to this and this is a bad time, Brother Josh. I'm not bringing this up for you. <laughs> it's just where we are in the lineup. <laughs> can you, but there's a speaker in the foyer, so I hope he can hear me say this. But has there ever been a time that you wished you had somebody else's children? <laughs> to all the sleeping babies tonight, do you know how much that Josh and Summer would love to have you right now? <laughs> I 
If we just had something else, if we just had it another way, and, and if we had that, it would all be all right. And, and I just want to say it again. If we're talking about fundamental, rudimentary things of life, that's one thing. But when we let these things bleed over into important areas of our life and into spiritual areas of our life, we run a very high risk of getting in trouble. Amen. I think that not only can that lead to a life of negative thinking and cynicism, but I think that it can keep us from becoming the person that God is trying to create us to be. It leads us to believe that uh, I'm just not in a position to do what God is calling me to do or desiring me to do. I'm not in a place where God could use me because of this, this, or this. I have kind of, uh, I have kind of excised myself out of out of where the Lord can use me. But if I can tell you that that if we can just somehow arrest that train of thought that if I could change this or if I could change that then I could really serve God I could really do this if I could just play the piano if I could just if I could just teach if I could just do this this or this then I could really become whatever it is that God is wanting me to to do but can I tell you that right now in your current situation that God can touch you and use you and anoint you amen God can take those hands that you deem feeble and God can take those steps that you deem wayward and God can use you now I'm not talking about people that's living in open sin I'm not referring to that we got to deal with sin at the altar we've got to crucify that on flesh on the cross but God can take us where we are and he can use us. Turning to Corinthians 7 and 20. And uh, the wording here, it's a little bit wordy, but just try to follow me if you will. And I'm going to use an, another version just for the sake of clarity in a moment. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians seven twenty, Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. And then, and then he says, Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. Or don't worry about it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's freeman. You may be a servant by the world's standards, but you're a freeman in the eyes of the Lord. Amen. You're a, you're a, a freeman. Likewise, also he that is called being free is a servant of Christ. You're Christ's servant. Ye are bought with a price be ye not the servants of men. Brethren, let every man where let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. Now, by no means, by no means is the Apostle Paul stating that we shouldn't merely settle for whatever life kind of hands us and that we should not ever reach for anything more. Verse 21 uh, in the English Standard Version says, Were you a were you a bondsman? or a bondservant when called, he said, don't be concerned about that. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself to that opportunity. I mean, if you can do something about that, then do something about that. But you see, some things in life you can't do anything about. You are where you are, at least for the season, and we cannot do anything about that. And uh, if we can better ourselves, Paul is saying, go for it. But, but no doubt, we have heard it said this way at some point along the way, God wants us to bloom wherever we are planted. God wants us to exercise our gifts for him wherever it is that we happen to be standing at the moment. I want you to know tonight, I say in the Holy Ghost, 
that God can use you right now in the situation that you find yourself in. Amen. I want to underline it again. I'm not talking about God can use somebody living in open sin, but I'm telling you that when we crucify ourselves and come to the Lord in repentance, that God can use us right where we are. Beyond that, we may be in an uncomfortable situation of some sort, but can I tell you that God can use you right where you are to affect the world around you. Amen. God can reveal his purpose. He can reveal his glory in our life and he can do that in our situation. And so if we want to learn sort of the secret of godly contentment, then I want us to consider the words of the Apostle Paul because in his message to these confused Corinthians, we can clearly see what that they, he was teaching them not to focus on. And sometimes we can really get focused in on the wrong thing. Can we all say amen? We can kind of hone in on the wrong thing. And so one of the most important things that Paul is trying to underline is that you should not put a lot of time and effort and energy into things that really at the end of the day are not all that important. Amen. And so we have to prioritize our day and we can get caught up doing noble things that are really unimportant things in light of the big things. Amen. And so I'll just use this little illustration. I've used something like this before, but if there were a leaking pipe here at the church and I spent all day fixing that leaking pipe, that would be a noble thing. But if you got here at 7.30 and I wasn't prepared to preach, then we can clearly see that I got focused on something that would, in the light, a full light of things, a leaking pipe would be a serious thing and needs to be taken care of. But if I took all of my time and attention and invested it into that and then did not invest it into the larger issue on the table, then I'm still going to get an F at the end of the day. And sometimes we can get focused on things that are not really all that important. And so Paul makes it clear that we can find ourselves in circumstances of life. You can find yourself in job situations, financial situations. We can find ourselves in family situations, health situations, and, and, and we can find ourselves caught up in all of these things. And if we're not careful, we can focus on things that in the big picture are really not that important. Amen. In, in some of the preceding scriptures, uh, Paul was speaking about marriage and different things. And I didn't want to just for the sake of time read all of that, but Paul asked some questions that were pertinent to the Corinthian church and uh, may not be quite so important tonight in this, in this setting, but let's go there for the sake of making a, a point. Paul was asking the following questions. He was asking these Corinthian people, he said, if a man was already circumcised when he was called, he said, should he become uncircumcised? which was an impossible thing. It was a really a silly question. You can't go there. He was trying to make a point, and he said, if a man was uncircumcised when he was called, should he not be circumcised? Because, and then he said that circumcision is nothing or uncircumcision is nothing. Now, you have to understand that in context. Paul knew his audience, and some people had to have their jaws on the desk because to them, circumcision was everything. And then Paul comes blowing in the door and saying, it don't matter. 
you're focusing on something that's really not that important. And so for clarity, I want to I want to go back to verses 21 and 22. And I, I want they're going to put it on the screen, and I want us to look at it together. He said, were you a bondservant when called? Then he said, don't be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself to the opportunity. Verse 22 says, for he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. You are called of the Lord in bondage, but in him you're free. And he said, likewise, when you are free, when you are called, you are now a bond servant to God. Amen. So it really doesn't matter your station in life. And I'm going to tell you that the apostle Paul was using a big hammer and he was shaking a large foundation under the feet of some people that were already confused. And now he is shaking their world. Because he said, you're majoring on the minors and, and, and this is not even going to matter at the end of the day. These two illustrations of current situations that people found themselves in in the church. And that was, in, in the Corinthian church, circumcision and slavery. And it was causing a great divide among the people of the church. And Paul walks in and says, it don't matter. And so... He was not doing that for shock value and he was certainly not doing that just to try to, to, to make someone mad. Some, some thought that all the males needed to be circumcised but Paul said it, it really is not an important thing and similarly he doesn't even regard slavery as a hindrance to serving God because there were those that said if someone is a slave or a bondservant they can never serve the Lord and, and so Paul walks in and he is trying to get them shaken not to break them but to shake them to focus them. Amen. So Paul was obviously and I want to just say this for the sake of clarification not advocating slavery because he tells them if you can gain your freedom then you certainly should do that. So it's clear Paul sees the value of being free but as far as someone's relationship to God what he was trying to say is wherever you are and whatever you're going through even if it is a situation the situation of slavery he said there may be a, a, a chance you could change that. If you can then change that but if you can't serve God as you and where you are in the case of circumcision or non-circumcision there's some cases obviously that you cannot change and so what are you going to do? There are some situations that some come into the house, come into the church with. Hear me now. There are some situations in people's lives that they come to God with that they cannot do again. They cannot get that back. You can't buy back yesterday. And so what are we going to do? Are we just going to stay in a prison of yesterday's mistakes? Or we're going to say, Lord, I may not be anything but two legs and a piece of an ear. Amen. I want you to help me to understand the value of godly contentment. Here I am. I am in this situation. I may have caused this situation. But do you know what? Tonight there may be people here or that hear this message that are in a situation that you did not call. You may be a victim of, of your circumstance, but can I tell you that regardless of whether it's your fault or someone else's fault, that whatever you have lost, God can still take what's left and he can touch our hearts and touch our lives if we can understand the value of godly contentment. Amen. Amen. I am certainly not... Um, I am not uh, against social media. That, that's that's we we enjoy uh, different venues that help us stay connected to our friends. But but I will tell you that sometimes you have to realize that people don't post their bad days. 
Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I was all being spiritual there for just a moment. <laughs> but just stay with my original train of thought, if you will. People, most of the time, post their best days, their greatest days. And we sometimes read those greatest days on our worst day and go, wow. (laughs) Just please bear with me here. I don't want to bruise anybody's wings. But you don't have to watch very many episodes of HGTV to wonder, where did I go wrong? Where I turn clearly, I turn left when I should have turned right. When a 32-year-old couple only has an $800,000 budget, and we just got to try to stay within this. <laughs> what in the world? What in the world? And those things, I'm not saying there's a sinister motive behind it, but I'm just telling you, those things can plant a seed of discontentment. And you can think, man, I I just, I hooked up to the wrong fella. I mean, I got the, man, I'm on the wrong, I'm on the B train. I should have been on the A train. I am, I am in trouble here. I am not trying to be comedic, but it's, I think we're laughing to keep from crying. To be honest with you, I think this is more like therapy than a, than a Bible study, but it's the honest to God's truth. We can wonder what in the world is going wrong and we can think, oh my Lord, my kitchen is not nearly like that. My, my goodness, I don't have a shoe closet, anything like that. And I don't have a man cave and I don't have a she shed and I don't have on and on and on the list goes. And that spirit of discontentment can get in our heart and it can just start gnawing. And I'm telling you that it can bleed over into the church house. Amen. And we can look at some other church down the way or across the way and we think, man, we're not doing anything compared to what they're doing and blah, blah, blah. And if you know me, you know I'm a proponent of always trying to better our serve and do. But you know what? In the meantime, I got to keep my nose to the grindstone, my shoulder to the wheel, my knees bent at an altar, my face in the book. Amen. And you know what? I'm going to give God all that I can. I'm going to give God the very best that I can. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We just got to be absolutely positive that we're not focusing on the wrong thing. And so Paul was just bursting onto the scene and he was saying that a man or a woman that is born in bondage or finds themselves a product of bondage can serve God just as faithfully and just as successfully as someone that is free. And friend, let me tell you that there is no greater picture of that than what we see on a weekly basis in our prison ministry and jail ministry because by all intent and purposes they are literally bound. Amen. Literally bound. And yet they are so free in Christ. Amen. Because God has put a freedom in them. So the message is clear. The 
the, the, the situation of our life. And I'm not here to try to minimize where you are, amen, but the situation of our life could be secondary and our, and not, it should be not our primary focus all the time. Amen. It certainly should not be an excuse for us to not serve God to our fullest. Amen. To say, if I could only do that, then I could really do this. Amen. I'm going to tell you that if we will plant the seed that God puts in our hand and exercise the gift that God puts in our life, he said that Paul said to Timothy, stir up the gift that is in you. Amen. Don't stir up the gift across the way. Don't stir up the gift that's sure to come down the road. Don't stir up the gift that's going to come if so-and-so lays hands on you. He said, Paul, stir up that that is in you. In you. Amen. And so if we are not careful, amen, we can just think if it wasn't for this, if I had more money, if I had a different job, if I, if I had better health, if I had a more supportive companion, if I had this, if I, the list could go on and on and on. I don't want to try to hit everything tonight. But you see, the problem sometimes is that we can focus on the wrong things because none of those things could keep, should keep us from serving God with everything we have. The only situations that have the power to do that are situations where we are living in unrepentant sin. That's what can hinder us. Amen. But the fact that you may not have ideal circumstances should never be our problem. So when we allow these secondary situations to become our primary focus, then obviously we are focused on the wrong thing. And so I'm not trying to wear out a saying that Brother Tinney, at least in the ranks of Pentecost, certainly made, made famous, but we have to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's easy to say and sometimes very, very difficult to do. And so what is the main thing? I believe Paul answers that question in verse 19 of chapter 7. In, in 1 Corinthians 7 and 19, he said circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But he said here is the main thing, keeping the commandments of God. Amen. If we can just uphold the word of God. You know what? I believe if, I believe if we would walk in the revelation that God has already shown us, then and only then will he give us more revelation. Amen. If we'll walk in the truth that we already know God will give us more truth but we need to exercise what we already have and what we already know amen I've got to keep God's commandments I need to do what I know is the right thing to do and so to be pleasing God that's his will amen and that's what really counts because really and truly no life is ideal no life every one of us everybody in this world is challenged in one way or another Amen. No life is perfect. And, and all of us, I think, from time to time experience some difficulties. And so a measure of a person is certainly not found in the absence of adversity. I believe the measure of a person is found in how we respond to adversity. And the only way we respond properly is to have a proper perspective upon life. And so uh, having a, a better situation not necessarily does not necessarily mean that everything is going to be righted in our lives. Because the greatest things in life are really not things. Children prove that all the time. <laughs> a few nights ago after, or a few services ago after service, Brother Kenny and Sister Kathy were were talking about one of their grandsons, Gage, who was 
been spending the night at their house and he was, he's been sleeping in his fort. And his fort is a, is a dishwasher box, am I right? His fort was a, a dishwasher box. And so children every day prove that the greatest things in life are not things. It's been said thousands of times that you can buy a child a toy and many times they wind up playing with the box. And so the greatest thing in life is not things always. And so if we can just make the Lord the center of our life and we really begin to live what we say we believe when we begin to implement that, then and only then do we experience the peace and contentment that we so desperately need to experience in our life because God is not impressed by what we have Amen. And his work in our life is not hindered by what we don't have. And so God is not impressed by this and he's not hindered by that. If we would just say, Lord, take these hands and use them. Lord, if you can just take my life and use them. And I, I don't mean to by any stretch of the imagination promote illiteracy or ignorance in any fashion, but I can tell you that historically that the church has been impacted and greatly, greatly moved by men and women who could not even read or write. Amen. But they were mightily used of God. Amen. The Lord could use them and strengthen them. And so I, I'm not promoting that. I'm not saying that should be our goal, but I'm just telling you that God is not impressed sometimes with all of our giftedness and he's not hindered other times about all the things that are called hiccups in our life. In fact, amen, we might be in the very situation that God needs you to be in right now. We may be right now exactly where God needs us to be. Because sometimes we forget that God is sovereign and we forget that God has called us and we forget that God knew us and he didn't just know about our past, but God also knew our future. I mean, we can kind of grasp that God knows about our past. But you see, God also understands our future. And so he didn't just understand you. He didn't just get you 10 years ago, but God, he knew what was coming down the road and, and, and somewhere along the way, he knew where the hairpin turn was going to be. He knew where the circumstance or the situation would be that would just completely discombobulate your life. But you know what? That doesn't mean you're not in the center of his hand. Amen. Jeremiah 18, remember this. The clay became marred. The clay became marred. But we also need to remember that it was marred in the master's hand. Amen. Our lives become marred from time to time. That's why I want to make sure I'm in his hand when it happens. Amen. In, in verse 17, these are not on the screen, but verse 17, Paul said, but as God hath distributed to every man as the Lord hath also called everyone, so let him walk and so ordain I in all churches. In verse 20, he said, let every man abide in the same calling wherein he is called. In verse 24, he said, brethren, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. And so it, it's clear from these passages of scripture that God has a plan for your life and he has a plan for my life. And you know what? That that plan includes the situation we're in right now. God's not shocked. He's not surprised. He's not somewhere in glory with the, hiding behind something, scratching his head, wondering, looking for a way out. God knows exactly where we are, and he knew yesterday we would be here. And so as our musicians come, I'm going to say this tonight, that we need to ask ourselves, how then can we be obedient 
in the midst of these circumstances? How, how can I remain pliable in the hand of he who has called me? I need to remember that God, let me back up. We need to remember that God called us and God knows what he's doing. That sounds real preacher-esque, doesn't it? But it's the truth. God called us and he knows exactly what he's doing. We need to remember that God has the power to change anything in our life he desires to change. But until he does, I'm going to trust him. We love to read about Job. We just don't want to be Job. We love to read about his deliverance and the double portion of blessings. We don't want to walk through the mud to get there. I don't say that condemning. I, I, I get it. We're human. But God is calling us to bloom right here. And I can tell you from experience that often I've been praying so hard to get out of a situation that I failed to think that God has me here for a reason. He wants to show me something. He wants to reveal a little portion of himself to me that I've never experienced before. And so our challenge is to be God's man or or God's woman, living as a a Christian ought to live and responding as a Christian ought ought to respond, even as we deal with things that have been dealt to us. It's not not comfortable. I'm not happy, and and if if we could vote to change it, we would vote to change it in a moment. But until then, until then, I'm going to hold to that unchanging hand of the Lord. Amen. I want you to stand, if you will. I believe if we could focus on what the Apostle Paul was pointing the Corinthian church to, that one thing would happen for sure. I believe that our, our feeling about our life, and this is, I, I'm, I promise you, I'm not just trying to bring a feel-good message, but I hope you feel better. But if we could just focus on the fact that God knows exactly where we are. That our life, our outlook about our own life can change. And we can begin to think of what we have and not what we've lost. What we already have, not what we've yet to attain. Amen. I think it does us all good from time to time to just say intentionally. And I'm I'm thankful for this. We've got a lot of things we'd like to fix in our life and family. But I'm thankful for some traditions that my wife has been so careful to cultivate intentional times in our calendar where we sit down and we say out loud to one another I'm thankful for this and this and this I'm I'm telling you it's very hard to sit down and start 
I'm not talking about you doing this by yourself riding down the road. When you start talking it out, it's hard to do that without tears. If you only count what you lost and never consider what you saved. Amen. If you'd never consider what it could have been if it had not been for the grace of God. Amen. Paul, you know, there's a lot of conjecture. I don't have the answer. Paul had a thorn in the flesh, sought the Lord multiple times for deliverance. A lot of opinions as to what that could be. And, And any of them possibly, or most any of them could be right. But I've often wondered in my own mind, I've often wondered, Brother Jerry, if, the, if one of the things that couldn't have really been a hindrance to the Apostle Paul was guilt. Guilt. He's preaching in churches with children whose parents he killed. There's widows on the pew and he commissioned for their husband to be killed. There's a lot of guilt that Paul had to reconcile. Whether that was the thorn or not, it doesn't matter. Paul could have gone to an exiled himself to an island and said, I've just done too much wrong to ever be used of God. But somewhere on that Damascus road, God saw something in his heart, still usable, still pliable, still flexible. And so before you think I've drifted too far, I've done too much, too much blood on my hands, just remember the Apostle Paul allowed God to do a work in his heart. I understand he had a powerful experience on the road to Damascus, but he didn't let it end there. He intentionally planted himself where he could be schooled and nurtured and and taught and God could speak things into his spirit And so I'm telling you tonight that there really is a such thing as godly contentment and I'm not trying to preach past the moment but I do, I would be very, very sorry if I didn't say this that that trust me when I tell you that there is a fine, delicate balance in all of this and I have not mastered it. I am still working on it daily because I want to be content in 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 the hand of God but I don't want to be complacent. And oh that high wire that seems to be sometimes. Lord, don't let me be complacent, but I don't want the enemy to get me by the nap of the neck and always cause me to look over there and wish I was somewhere else and doing something else. And if I were this or if I were that, I want to just say, Lord, help me until that time comes to be used of you. Can we just gather around for family prayer tonight? Amen. Can we just gather around? Come if you will. Amen. Let's magnify the Lord together in in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.